0: Welcome to The Blind Side. News and information from a blindness perspective. Here's Jonathan Mosin,
1: And this is episode 85. It is a pleasure to have you listening to the podcast once again. And on this podcast, our primary feature today is to talk about another podcast. This is probably one of the most requested things that I've been asked to do over the years. And it is a premium version of The Daily Fiber going to be talking a bit about why we're doing it this way, what The Daily Fiber is, and since it's you, since it's you, we'll even give you a free episode of The Daily Fiber so that you can find out what it's like and decide whether you'd like to pay the $5 a month, which works out at about a quarter per episode because there's a new episode every weekday to get The Daily Fiber Premium Podcast. So we'll talk more about that and give you some demos about how to sign up with the Patreon service as well, because it is a little bit fiddly. So we'll go through that in a bit. And we've also got a number of great listener comments as well to look forward to. A reminder that like all of our podcasts, you can skip forward and back by chapter. If you have a podcast app such as Downcast and Overcast, that works with podcast chapters. So let's get right into it and get started with a look at the Daily Fibre and what is going on with this. And I suppose by way of background, it might be helpful to mention a bit about me and Mosen Consulting and what is driving me and Mosen Consulting. Access World, the American Foundation for the Blinds publication, was kind enough to do a profile piece on the most recent publication of theirs. And they talked to me about Mosen Consulting and what drives my work. And in that interview, I made the point that what really motivates me and sort of gets me bouncing out of bed in the morning is making a difference for people. And to do that sustainably, you have to do it in a way that allows food to be put on the table and the mortgage to be paid and practical things like that. So if you look at the Blindside podcast, which takes a lot of time to produce every week by the time we edit it and put the chapters in and record the interviews and all the things that go on. When the accountant sits down and says, what's the business justification for the Blindside podcast? Oh, they're very serious people, aren't they? They're very serious people. And I say, well, you know, we mentioned Mosin Consulting on and off. If there's a new book, an ebook or an audio book that Mosin Consulting publishes, well, we mentioned that and hopefully it keeps my name out there and people will think of Mosin Consulting when they want training or a website designed or an audio book. And I think that that does actually work to some degree. But there's no getting away from the facts that what primarily motivates me to produce the Blindside podcast is what motivates me to do a lot of this stuff. And that is making a difference. I've been running email lists and bulletin boards. Gosh, I think the first bulletin board I set up back in the old BBS days was 30 years ago. Because I like the idea of us getting together as a community and discussing things and working things out together. We all have little bits of the puzzle, Right whether that be technology or how to cook or just getting through life as a blind person. If we can all get together and compare notes, hopefully the jigsaw comes together for all of us and we share our experiences. And I love that. And so that's really why the blind side is here. If I can put a few ads for Mosin Consulting in from time to time to make it a a business case, well, I do that. But that's not the driver. So Mushroom FM is another thing that I do. And we've talked about Mushroom FM. I think back in about October, we did a whole blind side podcast introducing Mushroom FM to people. But for those who weren't listening then or didn't hear that episode, Mushroom FM is a voluntary internet radio station that I run because I've been involved in radio for a very long time. I was on the radio as a child from the age of four, believe it or not, which is really scary, and worked in commercial radio for a long time. And radio is kind of a, it, it, it's a it's a thing that gains control of you. It gets in your blood and it's hard to give radio up when you've been doing the radio thing. And as many people know, I um, was the founding director of ACB Radio. I've kept my hand in that way. I love the idea of internet radio and so Mushroom FM is a voluntary thing that I do with a bunch of other very talented people. And last year, as part of a voice track t- show that I do for Mushroom FM, I started inserting a bit of tech news into my show which was then called the Board, which went out every weekday and people really liked the tech news and so when I took a break for the New Zealand summer over December and January I was thinking about what to do and I came back and I thought let's make the technology the primary focus of this show so I rebranded the show and we called it the Daily Fibre And I have a pretty cool system for gathering news sources from a wide range of places. I use an RSS reader. I use Instapaper. And I've got my Braille display, of course. And collate sometimes multiple news sources for the one story to kind of get the best picture of a news story. And we do this daily fiber thing on Mushroom FM. Well, it took off beyond my wildest imaginings. And what happened was... I got deluged with people saying, can you make this available as a podcast? And I said, no, you've got to learn to say no sometimes. I'm getting better at that. (laughs) And I just thought, look, if I take the time to put this together as a podcast, sort of piece it together, uh, upload it, do all the things that need to be done, it really is just more time that I'm spending doing things that don't bring in any income. And I've got to bring in some income. Or Yeah, yeah, it's not viable, right? So I said, look, respectfully, no. And I gave people some tips on how they might record the show. But every time we did something major on the Daily Fiber, again, my email box just got absolutely filled with people saying, can you make this available as a podcast? So give the people what they want. That's what I say. And then the question was, well, how can I do this in a way that makes some sort of sense that, you know, if I'm going to have to spend a lot of time on this Can we at least make it pay its way a little bit? And that's why we've come up with the idea of a premium podcast. Premium podcasts aren't new. They've been around since podcasting has been around since 2004 or so. But I don't think they're that common in the blind community. And the idea here is that you get a private RSS feed that is unique to you in some way, either protected with a password or whatever. And you then pay a premium to have access to that feed. And then I thought, okay, well, what can I do to make this viable? And I thought, well, if we can charge say a quarter per episode that works out at about $5 per month, hopefully that's not too arduous for people, but we might get enough subscriptions to make it worth my while putting all the work involved in putting the podcast together. Now, On the Daily Fiber, and you'll hear this when we play you a sample episode, you are not getting anything that you can't get anywhere else. Let's be absolutely clear about that. What you're paying for is the convenience. You're paying for somebody to go through a mountain of technology news sources and get the best bits for you, collate it, and also sometimes explain it from a blindness perspective. So, that is a unique bit of value that we add there. That sometimes we explain these stories in a way that other media won't explain the stories. But I'm being absolutely clear about this. You know, if you want to take the time to sift through all the tech news that's out there, you will get all the stuff that's on the daily fiber. So, the, it's not unique content in the same way that the blind side is unique content. The value that we're also adding with this podcast is that we are using the same chapter mark technique that we've been using in the blind side for a wee while now, which means that if you start playing the podcast, you can skip through the stories really quickly. If there's a story that is of no interest to you, you double tap the next chapter button, assuming you're using a compatible podcast player, and then you can skip to the next chapter. And in other words, that's the next story. So it's really cool. It's really a quick way to get from one story to another. Additional value that we add is that the podcast version, the premium version, has no music. And so it's just the facts, ma'am. You just get usually about 20 to 30 minutes, depending on how busy the day is, of straight technology news. And you can take it with you, whatever you're doing, because it's a podcast. You can download it as an MP3. There's an app for iOS and Android for the service that we're using for this called Patreon, which also allows you to play the podcast and you can get notified by email when there's a new episode. So we think it's pretty well implemented. There are some rough edges, unfortunately, in terms of accessibility, and I wish there weren't, but this is the best solution to deliver what we're delivering. And we'll go through some audio tips in a minute for signing up. Some people will find it really easy. If you're used to the sort of thing. Other people will find it a struggle. So we're going to go through some audio tips. Uh, these will also be available on the Mosin Consulting website and on the page for the premium podcast itself if you want to review them in the future. And the other big advantage is that we always make sure that the premium version of the podcast is available before it is on Mushroom FM. So you're getting a time advantage as well. Hopefully, that series of benefits, quite tangible, distinct benefits, will, for some people, warrant the $5 a month for getting a Daily Fibre episode every weekday. And if it doesn't, and if insufficient people want a service like this, then you've got to try things. You know, when you're in business, you've got to try something. And if it doesn't work out, you think, well, at least I won't die wondering. And obviously, if we don't get sufficient subscribers, we'll stop providing the service. So it's as simple as that. The market always decides these things, right? The market is always right or something. So having said that, I'm going to play you now an episode of the Daily Fiber Premium so you can hear what it's like. This might help you to decide whether you want the podcast or not. And remember that it is available on Mushroom FM as it's always been for free. And you can tune in and still hear it at 3 a.m. and 3 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time, complete with all the music from the 50s through to the 80s. So we're not making this exclusively premium, but we are offering through the premium podcast a series of added value that we think is compelling. So have a listen and see what you think. Welcome to the Daily Fibre podcast, keeping you up to speed with the fast pace of technology. I'm Jonathan Mosin and this is our edition for Tuesday, May the 8th. Our top story today, Microsoft Build, its developers conference, has begun in Seattle, Washington, in the United States. And its CEO, Sati Nadella, whose son has cerebral palsy, has been leading the charge on disability. The tech giant announced on Monday a $25 million five-year program to encourage software and device developers to design products using artificial intelligence that are aimed at the disabled community. They're talking about apps that describe what people see Better text-to-speech technology that sounds more natural, and predictive text so people don't have to type as much. Artificial intelligence is beginning to have an impact on the lives of people with disabilities, but it's only going to grow, he said. In demonstrating the impact technology can have on the disabled community, he showed Microsoft's Seeing AI app. That's the free app that narrates out loud whatever your phone's camera is pointed at. While $25 million isn't a whole lot to a company that rang up a profit of $8.6 billion last year, Microsoft sees this pitch as a wake-up call to academics, NGOs and researchers to begin using artificial intelligence in new ways when developing products and services. Microsoft isn't the only company that says AI's time is coming. Facebook, Google and Apple have been ramping up their talk about artificial intelligence, as a way to sort through photos, curb bad behavior on social networks, and helping us perform otherwise menial tasks like reserving a table for dinner and ordering movie tickets. Microsoft, whose software powers nearly 9 out of 10 computers on the planet, has been focused on AI as a way to both push technology forward and connect us to Microsoft programs. The company has been advancing speech-to-text, for example, in order to offer real-time translation during calls on its Skype messaging service. On stage, in front of more than 6,000 software and hardware developers in downtown Seattle, Microsoft showed how a drone could survey a series of pipes, identify cracks, and automatically alert repair workers using Microsoft software – To do this, the company set out a set of five industrial pipes, one of which had a break in it. As the drone flew over them, it detected the anomaly and then could send a message to repair crews. In the real world, there are thousands of pipes spread across a large distance, so this can save a lot of time and effort, according to Sam George, head of one of Microsoft's online services teams. Although Microsoft's pitch focuses on how its technology can spread even more into our lives, it has good reasons to push. This year, there are estimates that more devices will be connected to the Internet than there are people on Earth. By the year 2020, the average city will generate 250 petabytes of data each day, made up of everything from documents at work to sensor information from street corners. That's equivalent to more than 300 million photos each day. Another fascinating part of the Microsoft Build keynote was the demonstration of integration between Alexa and Cortana. This is something that Microsoft has promised for some time and they do have it in an early beta now. It is a closed beta at this point, but Microsoft promises to keep people informed about when that changes. Because there's so much interest in smart speakers, I thought we would play you this section from the keynote. So do bear in mind that if you have a device around you that responds to either the Amazon Echo or the Cortana Wake words, you may like to put headphones on for this part of the presentation or disable those devices. Here's how it sounded in Seattle.
2: Now, at my house, we have an Echo in the kitchen, but it's Cortana that manages my schedule and my email. And to get my day started, coffee is very important, and I like milk. But with ravenous teenagers, we are often out. Alexa, add milk to my shopping list.
3: I've added milk to your shopping list. Alexa,
2: open Cortana.
3: Cortana here? How can I help? How's my day? I'll take a look. I see two events for today. First up, at 5.30 PM, celebration with Tom at Harvest Vine. And then, at 8 PM, pick up Maddie from soccer. What can I do for you? Send
2: an email to Tom Taylor saying, I'll see you tonight.
3: Sure. I'll email Tom Taylor. I'll see you tonight. Ready to send it? Yes. Great, I've sent it. How can I help? I'm done. Very cool. Later.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I love being able to talk to both Cortana and Alexa on my PC. Let me show you how they helped me through my day. Oh, I see I have an email for Megan about dinner tonight at Harvest Vine. Hey, Cortana, where is Harvest Vine?
3: Harvest Vine is about two miles away at 2701 East Madison in Seattle.
4: Better get going. Hey, Cortana, open Alexa.
3: Hi there. This is Alexa. How can I help?
4: Get me a ride to Harvest Vine.
3: There is a NuberX two minutes away from your Alexa address. Should I order it? Yes, please. Okay, requesting your ride. This may take a few moments. Would you like to continue? Yes. Okay, your Uber driver, Sarah, is arriving. Look for a Toyota Camry. What's next?
4: Turn off the lights, please.
3: What else can I help you with?
4: What do you think about Cortana?
3: I like Cortana. We both have experience with light rings, although hers is more of a halo. Is there anything else?
4: Thanks, that's it.
1: One of the compelling propositions about going really deep into the Apple ecosystem is the integration that occurs. The ability, for example, to receive iMessages and text messages on your Mac and respond to them when you're at your desk being productive well Microsoft is seeking to come up with a solution to that in the Windows environment they've unveiled a new your phone app for Windows 10 at Microsoft build the app is designed to provide a mirror of your phone straight to your desktop PC and it will let Windows 10 users access texts photos and notifications from their machines Features are going to vary depending on whether you're using iOS or Android on your phone, but Microsoft can mirror the entire Android phone interface to a Windows 10 PC, so you never have to physically pick up your device while you're working on a PC. It's a concept that Dell tried earlier this year, allowing calls and notifications to be displayed on a PC. Microsoft will start testing the Your Phone app with Windows Insiders this week, And the feedback that Insiders provide them will guide Microsoft in terms of how this eventually ends up being a feature in Windows 10, or I guess even whether that happens. Microsoft is currently testing the next major update to Windows 10. Yes, many of us are still dealing with the current one. This one is codenamed Redstone 5, and it's expected to be available towards the very end of 2018. One of the big advantages of the Android operating system, and it's something that is touted by many of its users, is how open it is. And here's another example of this. As of now, Alexa can be your default voice assistant on a variety of Android phones. Android allows for greater flexibility of voice assistants than Apple, giving users the freedom to pick the specific helper that answers the call whenever they give the home button a long press. Alternatives like Cortana were already available to play with, but now Alexa is in the mix as well. People are still figuring out where this is working, but people have already confirmed that the feature is working on Google's own phone, the Pixel and the Pixel 2. It's also apparently working on the newer Samsung Galaxy devices, such as the Galaxy S9 and the S9+. Plus. It is interesting to see that this is working on the official Android devices because there is a bit of tension between Amazon and Google, and that has been affecting users for some time. For instance, Google took YouTube away from the Amazon Echo products that have a screen, such as the Echo Look and the Echo Show, and Chromecast devices currently aren't sold by Amazon, so there's a bit of a cold war going on there. So if you have an Android device, see if this works on your particular one. If you really do prefer Alexa over the uh, other assistant, although Google's assistant is pretty capable, isn't it? So it may be a tough call to make about whether you want to do this, but if you want to just see whether it works and see how you get on with it, the first prerequisite is, of course, that you've got to have the Alexa app on your Android phone. And if you have an Amazon Echo, then chances are very good that you will have that app anyway. So if you've got that app installed, the next thing you do is go into settings and then you choose assistance app and then you select Amazon Alexa from there you haven't completely lost the ability to access Google quickly. If you say that keyword, and I'll not say it, but the one that starts with Oscar Kilo, then you will still be able to summon Google that way, even if you've made Alexa your default assistant. So you may be able to kind of get the best of both worlds. So just to be clear how this is working, when you've got this set up, if you long press the home button, whether that be virtual or physical, then Alexa will pop up if you've done these changes that I've just mentioned. What you won't be able to do, though, is use the wake word for Alexa from anywhere on your phone. A couple of items of news from the Apple developer world. Apple has now released the fourth betas of iOS 11.4, macOS 10.13.5, tvOS 11.4 and watchOS 4.3.1 so we would expect that they will also drop for those on the public beta seed very shortly. It's only a week since Apple released the third betas, and that indicates that this cycle is most likely coming to an end. One would think that Apple will want to wrap this up before their Worldwide Developers Conference, which is due at the beginning of June, because there are still some features that Apple promised way back when, almost a year ago, and they haven't delivered them yet. This includes iMessages in the cloud, which was in iOS 11.3 until the very end of the beta cycle, and then Apple pulled it again. Also AirPlay 2, which is going to be a very significant advancement in the AirPlay technology and be much more capable. That remains in 11.4 beta 4. And it does look like we might get it actually in a released build. And that will be quite significant for Apple TV users. Sonos is promising AirPlay 2 support as is quite a wide range of speaker manufacturers. So we're all pretty excited about getting that uh, AirPlay 2 support out. It's also a pretty critical function for HomePod because it will facilitate multi-room support, which is something that a number of the other smart speakers that HomePod is competing with already have. Also, there's a story running on 9to5Mac that is interesting. It's indicating that the 11.4 release of HomePod may bring calendar support. Yeah, the HomePod doesn't have that either at the moment, even using Siri. So the personal requests on HomePod for now currently only work with messengers, reminders, and notes. And they're associated with the iPhone that was used to set the HomePod up. And they only work for a single user when both devices are on the same Wi-Fi network. It's a little bit embarrassing because, of course, Alexa has had iCloud support long before HomePod was released. And so it does look, according to 9to5Mac, like this is imminent. And those with HomePods will be very glad about that, that you'll be able to check your calendar, add appointments, do all those good things with your HomePod, hopefully very soon now. And Apple have emailed developers informing them that as of July of this year, all app updates that are submitted to the iOS App Store have to be built with the iOS 11 software development kit and they have to offer support for the iPhone X's taller display. That would seem reasonable. Developers have had a good lead time. The iPhone X dropped in November of last year and of course iOS 11's SDK has been out officially since September of last year with developers having access to it Before then, back in June, and so July is now the deadline when all apps submitted have to support this or they will be rejected from the store. Many of us cannot wait until we get into our first self-driving vehicle and just go wherever we want, when we want, and uh, I am in that category. There's a lot of work to go, I think, and MIT is doing some of that work. They're focusing their attention at the moment on driving on country roads, It's challenging because there may not be as many map points or as much GPS data and MIT's thinking about this in terms of a future where all cars might be self-driving. So they've come up with this new technology and it's called MapLite. It's a framework that allows self-driving cars to adapt on the fly, to drive on roads they've never driven on before without 3D maps. It combines Google Maps GPS data with LiDAR and IMU sensors that use pulsed laser lights to identify distances. This allows for a safer self-driving experience on country roads. There are still kinks. For example, Maplight struggles with mountain roads, mainly because of the elevation. Considering the stakes are much higher when you're driving at incredible heights, that's an issue. But it's a problem MIT is hoping to solve. But of course, it's not like we've cracked urban driving yet either with self-driving vehicles. You recall this tragic incident that happened not so long ago when an Uber vehicle was involved in a fatal incident that killed a pedestrian. The vehicle involved in the crash was one of Uber's Volvo MC90s, which have been modified to accept Uber's hardware and software so they can function as self-driving cars understandably, people want to know. I mean, Uber wants to know, and, and so do authorities want to know what went wrong in Tempe, Arizona back in March. Why was that pedestrian killed? And they believe they found the issue. It's a software problem. The details are that the software was meant to determine how the car should react to detected objects. The information has been running with this story. They've got some sources there, and they say that although the car's sensors reportedly detected the pedestrian Uber's software determined that it didn't need to immediately react because of how it was tuned. The software is supposed to ignore what are known as false positives or objects that wouldn't be an issue for the vehicle, like a plastic bag or a piece of paper. Company executives told the information that they believed the system was tuned in a way that made it react less to these objects, meaning that it didn't react fast enough when the pedestrian crossed the street. During the collision, an operator was behind the wheel, but the car was in autonomous mode. The operator wasn't looking at the road the moment before the car hit the 49-year-old pedestrian. Uber settled with the victim's family later that month. This was the first known fatality from an autonomous vehicle accident on a public road. For now, Uber has temporarily halted its self-driving operations in all cities where it's been testing its vehicles including Temp, Phoenix, Pittsburgh, San Francisco and Toronto. An Uber spokeswoman says the company's initiated a top-to-bottom safety review of its autonomous vehicle program and hired the former chair of the U.S. National Transportation Safety Board, Christopher Hart, to advise the company on its overall safety culture. Our review is looking at everything from the safety of our system to our training process for vehicle operators, the spokeswoman said. As I mentioned on yesterday's edition of the Daily Fibre, Google I.O. is coming up. So we've got a lot of Google things to talk about this week. And here's one. If you are a Gmail user or you've been thinking about being one, Google has rolled out a notable update to the Gmail app for I.O.S. The update brings support for snoozing emails as well as sending money with Google Pay. Google explains that the new snooze button in Gmail for iOS means you can delay dealing with an email until later. You can snooze a message for a preset amount of time, such as until tomorrow morning, or you can choose a specific date and time on your own. Gmail for iOS has also added support for Google Pay, and this means that users can now send money to anyone with an email address directly within the Gmail app. This gives Gmail a leg up on Apple's own mail application, which doesn't support Apple Pay or Apple Pay Cash. And in partnership news, where Google is concerned, and we'll be hearing about a few more partnerships across the week, Google is partnering with JBL, yep, the audio people, to develop a new hybrid device, and it blends a standard soundbar with a streaming set-top box. The new product's going to be called JBL Link Bar, And it'll work as an audio hub for your living room, but it will also run Android TV, which I imagine means that this soundbar type device will have talkback on it. It will actually be a soundbar with a screen reader built in. Now, because this is running Android TV as its operating system, that also means it comes with Google Assistant. So if the microphones are good, you should be able to talk to this soundbar from some distance away and get it to do all the Google Assistant things that you would expect, such as ask the weather and get facts. But also, of course, play music and do a whole bunch of things of that nature. Now, this sounds very similar to the device that we expect Sonos is going to be launching in June. And we've talked about this in the past on the Daily Fibre. We think this is going to be a replacement for either the Play Bar or the Play Base. Probably the Play Bar because the Play Base hasn't been out very long. And we expect it to have a bunch of microphones and initially support Alexa, but they have been promising Google Home. So this space is ramping up. Google is billing this product as the first in a series of hybrid devices that delivers a full assistant speaker and android tv experience according to what google has given us so far about this device it also will connect via hdmi and here is the really cool thing it will enable input switching via voice so just using your voice while being on the couch You can command it to jump from TV to maybe your Apple TV if you have one connected or your Xbox or whatever just by using a voice command. There is no pricing available at the moment on this, but it does sound like a very cool potential competitor to Sonos. If you're an Apple Watch owner, maybe you got an email from Apple inviting you to participate in the heart study. I actually did. And then when I chose the link to go to the App Store, I was told that it's not available in my country. So it <laughs> might have been good if Apple had targeted that email a little better. But the company is sending out these email invitations, recruiting new members. And that's a change from the relatively passive approach that the company has used so far. Participants have to download the Apple Heart Study iPhone app to sign up, which will also install a Watch OS companion on your Apple Watch. Once a person is accepted into the study, the app monitors heart rate and rhythm. Should an irregular rhythm be detected, the app will trigger a notification and arrange a free video chat with medical professionals. In some instances, a doctor may send out an electrocardiogram patch to confirm legitimate problems. Study participants must be U.S. residents aged 22 and older, and wearing an Apple Watch Series 1, 2 or 3 with WatchOS 4.X or later. The original 2015 watch, the Series 0, which sometimes known as, is not compatible with this. And that's where we conclude this edition of the Daily Fibre Podcast. Thank you so much for subscribing. And if you want to be in touch with the podcast, the email address is jonathan at mushroomfm.com. You can attach an audio file or just write something down. You can also call the listener line, and that number is 404-458-0645. That's 404-458-0645. If you like the podcast, please spread the word to your friends. We appreciate that. And we'll see you tomorrow. So there is the Daily Fibre in its entirety for Tuesday, the 8th of May. That's what premium subscribers get. And they get that kind of thing every day when they are a subscriber for just five dollars a month. If you think it's worth your while, then do choose the link in the show notes and head on over there. I will give you the link in case you can't access the show note for whatever reason. It is www.patreon.com, and that is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com com slash Jonathan Mosen, all joined together. But let's, before we move off this, take a look at setting this up, signing up for the Daily Fibre Premium, because there are a couple of ways that you can do that, and I've got a few tips and tricks. So let's take a look at signing up for the podcast, either from your PC or your iPhone, and then what you might do when you have your own private RSS link, which is what you will get when you sign up. It's one way that you can listen. So let's first take a look at signing up with the PC. The Daily Fiber Premium Podcast is hosted on a service called Patreon. If you've not heard of it before, it's a platform that allows creators to charge for their work and for you to support that work. Once you've signed up with Patreon, you may find other people using it who you'd like to support. It's a one-off sign-up process, and once you've signed up, it's really easy to maintain it. For the best experience, I recommend making sure that you use a browser that is current and supported. In other words, use a browser like Chrome or Firefox or Edge, but not Internet Explorer. I'm going to use Mozilla Firefox for this demonstration. It's open now.
5: And I'm going to press Control-L to get to the address bar. Navigation toolbar toolbar. Search or enter address edit combo. And I'm going to type the URL for my Patreon
1: page, which is www.patreon.com slash Jonathan Mosen, all one word. And the
5: case doesn't matter. I'll press Enter. Mosen Consult. Jonathan Mosen is creating the Daily Fiber podcast Patreon. Two regions, four headings and 34 links. Here's my page. And on this page, you will see some information
1: about the Daily Fiber podcast, what it is and what you get if you pay your $5 a month. I'm using JAWS and I'm going to press the letter B, which will move me to the button on the page. Become a patron button. And right here is become a patron
5: button, which is what I want to do. So I'll press the space bar to activate it. Main region. Become a patron button. Patron checkout, Patreon, Mozilla, Firefox, read only. The Daily Fiber, first and on demand. Two regions, two headings and 29 links. And if I navigate by form field by pressing the letter F. Search edit. The Daily Fiber, first and on demand radio button checked. On any patron checkout page on Patreon, you'll see the rewards that are available.
1: And some Patreon pages are quite elaborate in terms of the different tiers of rewards that are available. We may well offer different things in future, but now... We only have this one option, which is the Daily Fibre premium podcast for $5 a month. And that works out at about a quarter per episode. That radio button is currently checked. I'm going to press F to navigate to the next form field. Dollar edit 5.00. If you're feeling generous, you can pay above $5 a month to support my work. That would be lovely. Continue button. And then there's a continue button. So I'll press the space bar to activate that. You don't get much speech feedback, but the page has in fact changed. I'll go to the top and navigate by form field. Search edit. Sign up with Facebook button. Now we've got the sign up page because we're assuming that you have not signed up with Patreon before. Because if you've done that in the past, you'll know that becoming a patron of somebody is pretty straightforward once you're signed up. The first option here is to sign up with Facebook. Now there's a lot of nervousness about Facebook at the moment. So let me be clear what this does and doesn't do. When you choose this button, Facebook merely authenticates you with Patreon. There is no financial information going back and forth between Facebook and Patreon. It's merely a way of authenticating you with the Facebook service. So if you have a Facebook account, this is by far the easiest way to get signed up on your computer. I would urge you to use it. There is no harm in doing that. And you'll be up and running in no time at all. Just press that button. You will be probably familiar with how this works. Facebook will then ask you if it's okay to pass on login credentials, which include your email address. You will answer yes to that question. You'll eventually go back to the Patreon site and you will be signed up and you will be able to skip the next series of steps that will go through if you don't have a Facebook account. If that is you, then let's go to the next form field. Full name edit. And we can type our full name. Main region. Full name edit. I'm going to type Jonathan Mosen on Mushroom FM because I'm using a number of email addresses as part of this process to demonstrate different things. So let's just verify that. Full name edit Jonathan Mosen on Mushroom FM. And I'll press tab. Email edit. I will now type my Mushroom FM email address and press tab. Confirm email edit. And type it in again. I'll press the tab key. Password, password, edit. And type my password in that I've chosen to use for this account. And now I'm going to press escape to turn forms mode off. Virtual PC. And down arrow. You agree to our clickable. Link terms of use. And this is something that trips a lot of people up. Patreon really wants you to look at these terms of use that you are agreeing to. If you don't make an effort and choose this link, which will open the terms of use in a new tab in your browser, then you won't be able to sign up. The sign up button will be grayed out. And I suppose that's reasonable, really, because you shouldn't
5: really agree to things you haven't seen, right? So I'll press enter. Terms of use link. Mozilla Firefox read only. About. Blank. Terms of use Patreon. Two regions. 17 headings and 44 links. The terms of use have now popped up, and you can review
1: these if you like so you know what you are agreeing to. When you've done that, there's no checkbox to check or anything like that. You just press Control F4 to close
5: this tab and return to the one you were in before. Patron check out Patreon Mozilla Firefox. Read- now I'm going to go to a checkbox. Main region. Frame. I'm not a robot. Checkbox
1: not checked. This is a recapture challenge, and with a modern browser, all you have to do is check this box. Not checked. Unavailable. Not checked checked. Now it's changed to checked and if we press B, sign up button. There is the sign up button. It is no longer grayed out and we can press this to activate it. I'll do that now. Checked.
5: We have an account on Patreon now, but we haven't paid yet and there are two ways that you can do that. I'll press the B key to navigate by button, user menu button button menu, pay with credit card button.
1: That's a nice clearly labeled button. When I choose it, we'll get a form and we'll go to that
5: form in a minute. If I down arrow, pay with graphics 7 p a r x one allftksuqmcc clickable. Now that's not very nice is it? But that is
1: the PayPal option and there are only two ways that you can pay. So we know by a process of elimination that if the clearly labeled button is the credit card one, then this must be PayPal. Hopefully some of us can contact Patreon and ask them to label this better because it isn't very nice at all. When you choose this option, if you have PayPal one-touch set up, you'll be logged in. There'll be a Pay Now button. It'll be a really quick process. Otherwise, if you have a PayPal account, you can enter your PayPal username and password and then choose the Pay Now button and you'll be returned to Patreon. I'm
5: going to go back up. Pay with credit card button. And pay with credit card. Patron checkout. Frame read only. Edit. Card number. Computer Braille. Secure credit card form dialogue. Main region. Form region. Edit. Card number. I'm going to type in my credit card number
1: and pause the recording while I do that. I've typed it in and I'll press tab. Edit. MM slash YY. I'm going to type the expiration date of my card. I've done that and I'll press tab. Edit. CVC. And it's asking for the three-digit number on
5: the back of my card, which I'll now type in. I've done that and I'll press tab. Number link. I'll press tab again. Navigation region. Pledge US dollar 5.00 button. And here's the magic button. Pledge 5 US dollars. I'm going to activate that button. Strike checkout frame. Thank you for your pledge to Jonathan Mosin Patreon. Two regions and 33 links. We've got the thank you page confirming that you have paid the $5 a month.
1: And you will also get to this page if you had paid via PayPal. And that's how you sign up with your PC. Now let's go back and take a look at how you might complete the same task if you have an iPhone. And I'm using my iPhone 10 for this demonstration. The first thing you need to do is download the Patreon app. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And if you search for Patreon in the App Store in the usual way, you'll find the Patreon app. It's a free download, so double tap it, install it, and we're ready to go. Open Patreon. Patreon. Continue with Facebook. Button. For the purposes of this tutorial, I'm going to act like I'm a new user and I haven't used Patreon before. If you have a Facebook account, you can speed the process way up by continuing with Facebook. Double tap this button and follow the prompts. You've probably signed in with Facebook in other places. If not, it's a pretty simple process. It'll take you through various steps of authentication. When you're done, you'll have a Patreon account and you'll be able to sign in that way on your computer as well as your phone. I don't have a Facebook account. And I want to go through the process of signing up by email. So I'll flick right. Login with email button. If I've already signed up via email, maybe on my PC, I can log in by double tapping this button. But we're starting from scratch. So I need to flick right one more time. Button. Sadly, there are one or two unlabeled buttons in this app. And this is one. But I'm going to flick right again. New to Patreon. Sign up. That's nice and clear. So I'll double tap that option. Text field is editing, name, character mode, insertion point at start. I'm now at the point where I can type my name and I'm going to type it using my Apple Bluetooth keyboard. Jonathan Mosin on. I've typed Jonathan Mosin on iCloud because I'm setting up a few accounts to demonstrate Patreon. I'm going to use my iCloud address for this one. I'll press the tab key. If you're not using a Bluetooth keyboard, you can flick to the right. Text field is editing, email, character mode, insertion point at start. I'll type my email address, and I paused the recording while I did that. I'll press the tab key one more time. Again, if you're not using a Bluetooth keyboard, you can flick right. Secure text field is editing, password, character mode, insertion point at start. I'm being invited to enter my password, so I'm typing it in now. And I'll press the tab key. Secure
6: text field. Is editing. Confirm password. Character mode. Insertion point at start.
1: I'll type it again. If I press the tab key at this point, I'm going to wrap around, so I'm going to flick to the right. Submit field. Button. And here's a submit button. I'll double tap it. Submit field.
6: Patch alert. Patreon would like to send you notifications. Notifications may include alerts. Sounds and icon badges. These can be configured in settings. Don't allow button. Allow button.
1: I'll double tap allow. Patreon menu icon button. And that's it. You're all signed up. Now you need to search for the Daily Fiber Premium Podcast via the app. To do that, let's double tap this menu button which is labeled menu icon in the app. If you like to explore by touch, you'll find this at the very top left of your screen. Menu icon That's exposed to the menu, and I'm going to flick to the right. Creators. Heading. You're not a patron of any creators yet. Discover Creators button. If you double tap this button, you can link Patreon with a number of social networks, including Twitter and Facebook. That way, if you're following anybody who also uses Patreon on those social networks, you'll find them. I'm going to continue to flick to the right. Settings icon button. Here's a settings icon. If you double tap that, you can configure the app. Search creators. This is the one we want. Search creators. It doesn't say that it's a button, but it is double tappable. Search, fi- search field is editing character mode insertion point at start. I'm going to type my name, Jonathan Mosen On Jonathan. Now I'm going to flick to the right. Clear
6: text button. Jonathan Mosin is creating the Daily Fiber podcast. And there I am. I'll double tap. Selected. Jump jo- back button. Let's flick right and explore the screen. Jonathan Mosen, heading, Ellipses Dark, button, overview, posts, community. Jonathan Mosen is creating the Daily Fibre podcast. 19. Patrons, button,
1: button, become a patron. Again, there are a couple of unlabeled buttons, but right at the bottom, there's some text called become a patron, which is the key thing. I'll double tap. Become a done button. We're focused on a done button, but I'll flick to the right.
6: Patron Checkout Vertical Line Patreon Heading Skip Navigation Patreon Home Banner Land Mobile Navigation Choose your Reward and Unlock Posts Heading Level 1 Main Land Rewards Are Heading Level 2 Jonathan Mosins Heading Level 2 Thank You For Being A Passionate Fan Heading Level 2 The Daily
1: Fiber First and On Demand Radio Button Checked The Daily Fiber First and On Demand, which is the reward I'm offering, is actually already checked, so I'll flick to the right. Pledge per month. Dollar sign. 5.00 text field. Double tap to edit. You can pledge more if you want to, but $5 is usually what people pay. Get the daily fiber before it airs on Mushroom
6: FM. You can subscribe to your own private podcast feed and get just the news. No music. Continue button. I'll double tap. Continue. You will be charged $5 on June 1st and then the 1st of each month going forward. You can cancel or edit your pledge at any time. By making this pledge, you agree to Patreon's Terms of Use Full Stop Pay With Credit
1: Card Button There's a Pay With Credit Card Button. If we flick to the right, Pay With Image This is the second of two options. The first one is clearly labeled credit card. The second one, sadly, is not. Hopefully we can contact Patreon and ask them to fix this. But by a process of elimination... We know that if the first clearly labeled button is credit card, the second must be PayPal because they are the only two options available for payment. I'll double tap PayPal. Image. And now flick right. Secure checkout. And then choose secure checkout by double tapping. Secure checkout. It takes a while to load, but now
6: enter your email address to get started. Pay with PayPal. Heading and ent-
1: email address. Email address required. You can type your email address here, choose the next button. You'll then be asked to enter your password and you will be taken to the PayPal site. I have not had any luck getting the credit card button to activate, but others have. So your mileage may vary. And if you want to pay with a credit card, you may be able to get it done on the phone or you may need to end up reverting to your PC. In the example that we showed you earlier, paying with your credit card via that method. The next thing we want to do is explore how to get the daily fiber on some device that you own as a podcast if you prefer to receive it that way. I'm going to continue using JAWS, but you could just as easily continue via your iPhone if you paid that way via PayPal.
5: I'm going to press control F to perform a JAWS find find. and type the word podcast and press enter. Thank you. I really appreciate your support of the daily fiber podcast. That's a thank you note from me. I'll press F3 to repeat the search. Thank you. I really want to listen to Jonathan Mosin's posts with your favorite podcast app. Separator. Blank. Read only edit HTTP. And this is what you can paste into a podcast
1: app. This is necessary because you've been kind enough to pay for premium content. So this podcast feed is not available in the usual podcast directories such as iTunes. But every podcast app has the ability to add a manual feed. It's just a matter of finding out how. So what I'd like to do here is first show you how to get your personalized feed and then second, how you might add it to a few of the most commonly used apps. If you use HumanWare's to stream, I don't own one, but I have been told by people who I consider experts with the stream that there is no way to import one of these secure protected feeds into the stream. However, if you are a Windows PC user and you use Qcast, which is an app designed for blind people to listen to podcasts on Windows, that apparently does work. So even if you're not using any of the mainstream solutions I'm about to outline, you should be able to use Qcast on Windows. If I down arrow, copy link button. There's a copy link button, and I'll press enter on that. Main region. I can verify before navigating away from this page that the URL is on the clipboard by pressing the jaws key with
5: space and then C, which will let me look at the contents of the clipboard. Clipboard text. H-t-t-p-s//www.patreon.com. And there it is. There's the Patreon RSS link that is especially for me and
1: I can now paste this into any podcast app. If you're doing this on your PC but you want to subscribe to the podcast feed on iOS, what you could do is copy it to a text file, save that text file in a cloud-based service that you're using such as Dropbox or OneDrive and get to it that way or you could email yourself the link. but There may not be any need to do that because you will also receive an email from Patreon with this same link in it, and you can open that link on your iPhone. You can grab the link from there and paste it into any compatible podcast app that allows you to use your own RSS feed. So you will receive this as an email as well. Let's take a look at a couple of common scenarios. Chances are that if you use a Windows or Mac-based podcast app, you'll be familiar enough with it to navigate the menu bar to find the Add Manual Podcast Feed option. Pretty much every podcast client that I'm aware of has the ability to do this. iTunes is a very common app, so let's have a look
5: at how easy this is. Search box edit. I'll go to iTunes. iTunes, desktop app. And press enter. iTunes, no results. I'll go to the file menu menu new sub menu and down arrow edit rules unavailable close window control add file to library add folder to library burn playlist to disc. library submit devices sub menu home sharings open stream subscribe to podcast s and there is the subscribe to podcast option i'll press enter on it leaving menus subscribe to podcast dialogue yeah. url edit all i have to do is paste from my clipboard now because you remember there was a button
1: on patreon to copy the link to the clipboard so i'll paste it in pasted Off equals F8Y. And there it is. OK button. And there's an OK button. If I press OK, it will subscribe in iTunes, which also has the benefit of subscribing in Apple Podcasts. So if you have Apple Podcasts on your iPhone, simply by doing this in iTunes, you will also have subscribed there and it will also be available on your Apple TV and your AirPod if you have those devices. Any PC based or Mac based management system will be similar. You will also, as I say, have received an email from Patreon itself with this link. And let's have a look at how we can subscribe in a couple of places that you might want to do it. So I've opened the email that has information about Patreon rewards for subscribing to the Daily Fibre podcast. And in this email is your own personal RSS feed that you paid for. I'm navigating to my
6: Patreon podcast RSS image. Use this link to listen to Jonathan Mosin's audio posts with your favorite
1: podcast app, HTTPS. Here it is. Now I'm going to double tap and hold on this link. Alert, HTTP. There it is. Now if you have a 3D touch device, be careful not to press too hard or you'll get a completely different effect. So gently double tap and hold if you have a 3D touch capable device and a menu has popped up. I'm going to flick to the right.
6: Open button. Add to reading list. Button. Copy. Button.
1: Share. Button. Cancel. Button. We certainly don't want you sharing this. I appreciate that. Let's flick left. Share. Copy. Button. And double tap. Copy. Patreon trademark. And now we have copied that URL to the clipboard. Having done that, we can do all sorts of groovy things like... Open podcasts. Podcasts. Library. Heading. I'm in the native Apple podcast app. This is the one that a lot of people use and it's available for free from Apple for download. At the bottom of the screen, search tab for browse selected library tab. We have the tab strip and we want to be in the library tab to make use of this URL. We are there now, so I'm going to go to the top of the screen. Library heading edit button. And there's an edit button. I'll double tap that. Edit. And flick to the right. Selected shows, reorder, select reorder app, download, reordered, new station, add a podcast by URL, ellipsis. Here's add a podcast by URL. I'll double tap. Alert, text field is editing, podcast URL, character mode, insertion point at start. We've got the podcast URL that we need on the clipboard, so I'm going to use the rotor now to find edit, edit. There it is. I did one gesture to the left, and edit was there, and I'll flick down. Paste. And there's paste. I'll double tap. HTTP. There it is. I'll flick to the right. Cancel. Subscribe. Button. And double tap the subscribe button. Downloaded
6: episodes. Selected. Add a... Selected. Add a podcast by URL. Ellipsis.
1: It's now been added. Let's go to the top of the screen. Library. Done. Button. And double tap the done button. Done. I'll flick to the right now in Apple Podcasts, and I'm still in my library tab. Edit. But shows. Episodes. Recently
6: updated. Head The Archers. To. The Daily Fiber Premium Feed. Today. Button.
1: And here's the Daily Fiber Premium Feed. Now in Apple Podcasts. I'll double tap. The Daily Library. Back button. And flick to the right. The Daily Fiber Premium
6: Feed. Subscribed. Artwork. Image. The Daily Fiber Premium Feed. Dimmed. Button. Play. For the 4th of May 2018. Button.
1: And if I double tap. Double
6: tap to play. For the 4th of May 2018. Play.
1: Welcome to the Daily Fibre, Mushroom FM's technology magazine show. And you have the Daily Fibre in Apple Podcasts, which of course also means that it's available on your Apple TV and your AirPod. And you can talk to Siri as well. We can say... Play the latest episode of the Daily Fibre Premium Feed.
4: Okay, the Daily Fibre Premium Feed podcast coming up, starting with the newest episode.
1: Today is the 4th of May. So now that it's set up, it's only a Siri command away to hear the very latest version of the Daily Fibre. If you use Overcast, which is a very popular podcast app in the iOS using blind community, according to the stats I get for the blind side, There is something that you need to be aware of. If you copy the URL to the clipboard directly from the rewards page, you'll be fine. You'll be able to go through the steps that we'll outline in a second for Overcast. If you use the method I just outlined to copy the link from an email message, that does not work in Overcast. The reason for that appears to be that when Patreon sends a link and you copy that link to the clipboard, There's some additional metadata that tracks that link and Overcast seems to choke on it. It does look like you're subscribed and you do see the feed come up, but you don't get new episodes, which is obviously not what you want. So if it's not possible for you to get the URL directly from the rewards page and you would normally have to email it to yourself, there are two ways to deal with this. One is that with the email from Patreon open, Instead of copying the link to the clipboard from the email message, you can select the text manually using the selection methods now available in iOS and then copy to the clipboard. If you prefer not to do that, you can also email yourself from your computer a copy of the pure URL, not the URL that comes in the email from Patreon. And I've done that and I'm going to work with that. So I'll open the email. it HTTPS. And there's the link, which looks like it's the same link when you read it like this. But underneath, there's some additional stuff with the Patreon link that they email you that is upsetting Overcast. So I'm going to copy my link that I just pasted from the clipboard and emailed myself by using the same method we did just before. Double tap and hold on it. Alert HTTPS. And now flick to the right. Open add to copy button and double tap copy. Now we should be in good shape, so let's open Overcast. Overcast settings button. Overcast is open. I'll flick to the right. Downloads. Add playlist. Add podcast button. And double tap. Add podcast. Add po- All podcasts. Back button. I'll flick to the right. Add podcast. Heading. Add URL button. And here's the magic button for add URL. I'll double tap it. Add URL. Text field is editing. HTTPS. And very handily, the URL has already been pasted in for me, so there's no need to do anything else except go to the bottom right of the screen and double-tap the done button. Done. Face the settings button. Now, if I
6: flick to the right... Downloads. Add play... Add pod... Playlist. All episode Kiwi News. Podcast. The Daily Fiber Premium Feed. Actions available. I'll double-tap selected all podcasts back flick to the right the daily fiber premium feed heading closed lock the daily fiber premium feed jonathan Mosin's private rss feed for jonathan Mosin on icloud
1: and this tells me that it's jonathan Mosin's private rss feed for jonathan Mosin on icloud so overcast actually tells me that this is a closed lock private feed which is a really nice feature i'll flick to the right
6: selected unplayed all B- settings button The Daily Fibre Premium for the 4th of May 2018, the 5th of May 19th minutes. And I'll double tap. Actions available.
1: And off we go with the Daily Fibre on Overcast. So the trick here is just not to use the method that gets all the additional superfluous email data from the Patreon link. Overcast does not seem to like that. Now, one obvious question that stems from all this is what happens if I lose my RSS feed for some reason? Maybe I have an email client crash or I just didn't save it and now I want it. Can I get it back? Absolutely, you can. What you do is you go in your web browser to patreon.com slash Jonathan and you choose the overview tab. And on the overview tab, you will find this RSS link and a button to copy it to the clipboard, just like we've been seeing here. So that's patreon.com slash Jonathan and then the overview tab, and then you can find the RSS feed. You may not have subscribed to a premium podcast feed before, so all this may seem like a bit of work, and at first glance, it does seem convenient to have The Daily Fiber coming to you in the same podcast app that you get everything else. And of course, once it's set up, it stays set up as long as you keep paying the $5 a month. And I obviously hope you will. But Patreon is a little bit like a social networking app where once you start following people, you can track them within the app. And this may be all you need to keep up with the daily fiber. Let's show you how easy this is. And so that we are working from a common point, I've closed the Patreon app in my iPhone's app switcher, and I'm going to launch it again, having now pledged the $5 a month to the Daily Fibre. Open Patreon. Patreon menu icon button. This is the screen that appears when you first launch the app. And I'm going to flick to the right now that we've pledged the $5 a month for the Daily Fibre. Jonathan
6: Mosen heading. Ellipses dark button. Overview. Posts. Community. Jonathan Mosen. Patrons only. Published
1: at... 5.04 a.m. This is a post that was published at 5.04 a.m. by me. If I flick to the right. Play audio button. I can play the audio because this is an episode of The Daily Fiber. Download audio file button. I can even download the audio file and play it later if I want to. If I choose the download button, then I can double tap menu, choose downloads, and The Daily Fiber will be right there. So even if you want to hear The Daily Fiber on a commute and you're in a bit of a difficult coverage area, you will be able to do that. But I'll flick left. Play audio button. And double tap the play audio button. Pause audio. Welcome to the Daily Fibre. Now, it may take a while because I think the audio downloads before it starts to actually stream. But you can do this all from the Patreon iOS app. And you may find that that is all you need. Of course, you can always go to the website when you're logged into Patreon on any device and you can download or stream the audio for Daily Fibre episodes from there as well. So it is a snap to get to what you need. Finally, by default, and you can change this, you will get an email every time an episode of the Daily Fibre is published. So there you have it. That's what it is. That's why I'm doing it. That's how you get it. If you try it out, I certainly appreciate that. I hope you find it of value. Now, let's take a look at listener comments. If you have any that you would like to share, you can drop me an email to theblindsideatmosin.org. That's the theblindside, all joined together at mosen.org. You can also call the feedback line, and that number is 719-270-5114. That's 719-270-5114. When you email... You're welcome to send an audio attachment a couple of people have this week, or you can write something down if that's easier, as has John Denning. That's what he's done. He says, hello, Jonathan. Great podcast. Love it. Woo! Thank you, John. I do not want to use a wheelchair at an airport, says John. For one, I like stretching my legs and I like walking fast and often the person they send is much smaller than me. It looks ludicrous having this tiny little person pushing this huge able-bodied walker and a wheelchair. So I will politely decline, and I have done the same thing as you, put my backpack and any other carry-on on the wheelchair, and yes, that usually does help make the point. As far as the seat on the bus, I am of two minds. I have no problem standing. But in an unfamiliar place, when you stand on a very packed bus, you often get pushed to the back. The proper etiquette is, if it's a busy, full, crowded bus, as new people get on in the front, you should continue to move to the back. So I would end up someplace in the back where I couldn't hear the driver notify me of a stop. In that case, it makes sense to sit up right near the driver. And I have been on public transportation with other blind people who would doggedly refuse to sit and then proceed to take more room and block other people and cause other people to be inconvenienced just because they didn't want to sit. Bottom line is, we should be good travellers, not just in our skills, but good travellers amongst other people, considerate of them, as they should be considerate to us. Thanks, John. I hope I represented your email correctly. I think it was dictated because <laughs> I had to do a bit of deciphering there, but I believe that's the gist of it, and I really appreciate you being in touch. Here's an email from Linda. Hello, Linda, and she says, I am a recent listener to your podcast, which I now anticipate each week. Oh, wee. I have wanted, she says, to respond to several of your topics and then get busy. And another week goes by. Well, I know what that's like. Re the wheelchair, says Linda, at airports, I am quite sensitive to that myself. I had thought it was improving in the U.S. until, alas, I disembarked from a Delta flight only to find not only an escort, but the dreaded W.C. (laughs) W.C. stands for something else around here. It stands for water closet. But anyway, I had spent, she says, quite an amount of time on the phone with Delta's Accessibility Department, so it was in my record that I requested an escort and also would be travelling with my guide dog. This particular man, bearing his wheelchair, insisted I was required to sit in it. No way would I comply. And I had to wonder what he expected the guide dog to do. I love the idea of putting my carry-on in the chair, if we must drag it along anyway. You have a question for me here, Linda, in the second part of your email, and I just wanted to let you know I'm not ignoring it. It's actually going to be a feature of the Blindside podcast, if not next week, then the week after, because you're not the only person that asked the question. So thank you for being in touch, and stay tuned, as they say. Hi,
7: Jonathan. This is Christopher from Melbourne, Australia. thought I would just uh, have something to say about the whole set, slash stand debate that seems to be going on. Um, I consider myself a uh, a good TAME user, uh, and as such, I'm more than happy to um, um, stand when I am on public transport. Um, here in Melbourne, we have trams, as you know, and uh, I'm more than happy to um, Uh, stand up and um, hang on a strap. I've got tram legs, as you might call it. But I also appreciate the counter-argument from dog users um, as to why uh, they uh, might want to sit.
0: Hi, Jonathan. Uh, It's Doug Oliver. Um, I wanted to say uh, on the current podcast that you've done uh, with the Windows 10 update... I really like what you've shown because this new thing with the timeline and the, you know, individual sound settings that you can change now, I like that because it just seems more useful. Um, Another thing that I've noticed is nowadays when you're doing a Windows reinstall, I like the fact now that I'm noticing that Narrator is allowing you to go through and do all this, and I really like that. So thanks again for that contribution, and uh, I will basically get this update and start using it. And I will definitely be checking out the Microsoft Accessibility Blog because I'm very curious as to what they're changing. Also, um, have you heard anything new in regards to the native Skype app for Windows 10, if they're going to make that more accessible, or would that be on the Accessibility Blog? Just thought I would ask.
1: Well, what a difference a few days makes, Doug because I know that you were listening to the Mosin Explosion the other day on Mushroom FM, and we were talking about how you have downgraded from the April 2018 update, and I have as well. And uh, there are a number of issues that all sorts of people are reporting, and it's amazing, isn't it? I don't really fault Microsoft for this, because they did delay a release when they found a problem. And I believe they have around 10 million people in the Windows Insider program. And still, the general public are reporting things like, in some instances, Chrome is locking up with this new update. The issue I had on my primary laptop machine was that the fan went crazy and my battery life more than halved. And yet when I brought up the Windows 10 uh, Task Manager to have a look at what CPU load was going on, there wasn't any obvious culprit. There wasn't some major app somewhere running in the background using oodles of CPU time that might be apparently causing the fan to keep spinning up. So... Hopefully by the time they officially push it to me, all those things will be sorted out. But just to get some decent battery life back again, and I normally get sort of 11, 12, 13 hours of battery life on my laptop, I had to revert to the previous Windows update. And I know you've done a similar thing, Doug. So it hasn't been smooth sailing for everyone. And regarding your Skype question, I do see people from Microsoft tweeting from time to time about the fact that they know that there are some accessibility issues ongoing with various incarnations of Skype on various platforms and that they will be improving over time. And I believe in some instances already have started to improve a bit. Hey,
8: Jonathan, it's Steve Bauer from Wichita, Kansas. A couple of quick comments. First on Braille. I had very limited vision while growing up. And in fact, in the second grade, my special education teacher contacted my parents and in her opinion, told them that she felt that I was spending more effort trying to read the large print and see the material than I was in learning. And she recommended that I learn Braille. And that was an absolute lifesaver. So often, parents who have a child with limited vision feel that learning Braille is defeat that they've given up and it's the wrong thing to do. And that is absolutely the wrong concept. Learning braille is exceptional. It helps people learn, it just opens up all kinds of opportunities. Without braille, you are so limited in life in what you can do. We've heard numbers kicked around that 70% of blind and visually impaired people are unemployed, and of the people who are employed, over 90% are braille readers. So braille is very important. Whether you're reading it on actual paper or through a braille display, it doesn't matter. It's a skill that needs to be taught and needs to be valued instead of looked down on. As far as the new unified English braille code goes, maybe I'm just too old to change my ways, but I don't like it. I think it's more cluttered and takes up more space and unfortunately, I think we're stuck with it, and I'm not a fan of it at all. Now, I'm sure there's some need for a few special symbols, but why mess up good contractions and take them out? And it just it just seems cluttered and messy as far as I'm concerned. So I just don't like it, and I wish it'd go away, but I don't think it will. And finally, commenting on exercise equipment... I go to a Planet Fitness location, and fortunately, most of the equipment that I use when I go to work out does have buttons, so at least I can do the minimal things. For example, the treadmill, I can start it, I can control the speed, I can control the slant of the machine, and I can stop it. It works quite nicely. The only thing I can't do is know how fast I'm going or how many miles I put in, or maybe even how many calories I burned. That kind of information is not available. But other than that, the treadmills where I go are wonderful. I have been to a couple of Planet Fitness locations in different cities where they have different models and they are not accessible. And in one case out in Albuquerque, New Mexico, the only thing I could do was stop it. I couldn't start it. I couldn't adjust speed or anything at all. All I could do was stop it, and I hated that machine. I'm glad I only had to use it one time. It's just as well you
1: could stop it, Steve, or you might not be able to leave that comment. I mean, you might have been just stuck on the treadmill running on it forevermore, which would have been a terrible concept. But yeah, it is the luck of the draw sometimes, isn't it? And sometimes it just happens that you turn up to a gym and you can use the gear And if that gym is local to you, then that is absolutely fantastic. Regarding UEB, my goodness, that has had a long gestation, the UEB. I remember going back to a conference in 1993 that was actually held in New Zealand. And I think when I interviewed Fred Schroeder, who's the president of the World Blind Union at the moment, I talked to him about this conference because he was there as well. And I'm a passionate supporter of UEB, but I thought at one time... That the United States was going to be left out of UEB in the same way that it's, I think, the only major country still using Fahrenheit and non-metric measurements and things. And I thought, oh, (laughs) the U.S. is going to be in isolation again. And then they came up with this compromise about adopting UEB for literary Braille. I do think it is important. I think it's giving Braille a bit of a boost because of the removal of some of the ambiguities that were causing issues with Braille translation. And when UEB came into effect here, New Zealand was actually one of the first countries to adopt it. And my initial attitude to UEB was, well, I'm I'm glad we've done it. It makes sense. But I probably won't use it in my day-to-day life because I can keep North American Braille working on JAWS and other devices I use Braille on. And it doesn't affect me. I can't remember the last time I read a lot of hard copy Braille. But actually, a few years ago, I switched because I found that UEB worked much better with Apple devices and Braille screen input and all of that sort of stuff. And I have now come to appreciate the lack of ambiguity of UEB. There are a couple of ambiguities remaining, but they're much fewer in number than they used to be. But I think because the Nemeth braille issue hasn't gone away and maybe there should have been further discussion about mathematical braille. I know a lot of math experts who I respect who really have some genuine concerns about how much space braille takes up for mathematics these days and the STEM subjects. But that has really resulted in one of the reasons for UEB's adoption not really coming to fruition, which was not only unifying English Braille codes around the world for literary Braille, but also mathematical Braille. And that really did trouble me a lot when I was involved in the World Blind Union some years ago before my work in assistive technology meant that I couldn't really devote any time to that. Because you do get a situation where in some developing countries, they will gladly take whatever Braille textbooks they can get and sometimes it means that they might get a mathematical textbook from the US and another one from the UK, and they're using two completely different forms of mathematical notation in Rail, And it seems wrong to me that we can't standardize on a mathematical code. Blind kids who are struggling anyway just to get the resources they need have to struggle even further because they have to understand more than one form of mathematical notation.
2: Hi, Jonathan. It's Megan Cheatham. I don't know if you remember me from a couple at the Mosins, but I remember being on your your show. But I just wanted to comment on your Sue Martin podcast. I know that's a while back, but I had an experience kind of like that yesterday. This lady was being very rude to me yesterday over the phone yesterday when we were talking and she would not let my mom help me do my social security number, memorize it. And I automatically thought of Sue Martin and how she could not be on the plane. With her guide
1: dog. Thanks, Megan. And of course I remember you. I never forget a face, you know. I never forget a face. And I know how precious and closely guarded the social security numbers are in the United States. It's almost like they're a de facto form of national ID, aren't they, really? I mean, you can't do much uh, without a social security number. So maybe somebody was trying to be concerned for your security. Not not the social security, but your security Interesting experience, and maybe there will be others who can comment on that. Hey,
2: Jonathan, how are you? My name is Karas, again, calling. I've heard on the podcast about Apple events when they, when they introduced the new iPhones and stuff. But the question I have for you is, why, if it's live streamed, why would they introduce new Apple products or or Apple software and stuff? Why they don't show it in both ways? Why do they show it without voiceover? I understand that most people are not voiceover users, but but to those blind people who are listening, or for those who are attending who are voiceover users. For example, the iPhone 10. They did an Apple did an iPhone 10 video. However, they did not include the voiceover gestures. Do you know what's the reason for that?
1: I suppose the reason for it is that we're just such a small minority, really. And, of course, we're coming up to the cycle again, aren't we? At the beginning of June, it'll be WWDC, Apple's Worldwide Developers Conference, and we do it all over again. We've got iOS 12 and all of that good fun to look forward to. So whether it's reasonable to expect Apple to do that on stage, I don't know about that. But you do raise an important point. With something as fundamental as Face ID... And there have been one or two other examples of this. I think the Apple Watch, when it was announced, is another example I can immediately think of. I don't think it's unreasonable to ask Apple to have some sort of demonstration video available on their accessibility website that shows how voiceover is going to work with this particular technology. So there was a lot of speculation. I got in touch with Apple Accessibility because there was a lot of chatter on Twitter, about Face ID and was it going to be accessible? And essentially they wrote straight back and they said, yeah, it is going to be accessible with voiceover. We've taken care to ensure it is. But I think if sighted people could see at that point that this is how Face ID works and they look at the video and they think, yeah, I get this. I understand how it works. Then surely blind people should be entitled to the same degree of consideration. And there could be a video on the Apple Accessibility site audio described that demonstrates how face id is going to work before the iphone 10 comes out i mean i might be shooting myself in the foot a bit because we had an enormous number of people listening to the blind side when the iphone 10 came out it came out first in new zealand of course and people were curious but i think that that's a job that apple should do so interesting comment and that's where we will wrap it up for the blind side thank you so much for your company looking forward to seeing you next week
0: Thanks for listening to The Blind Side, a production of Mozen Consulting, on the web at mozen.org.